0: Once upon a time, there was a group of people, just like you, that believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that group of people changed the world. They took the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. They boarded ships to lands that they'd never been to to tell people they'd never met about Jesus and a God who loved them and sent his son to die for them. And the world has never been the same because of that group of people. And none of us should be surprised at the story of the church, the history of the church, because Jesus predicted it. Matter of fact, Jesus looked at his disciples one day and this is what he said. He said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Or in other words, the gates of death, my death, your death, It won't prevail against it. And in that moment, Jesus did something absolutely amazing. Jesus predicted the church, the church that did not yet exist but would exist after his death, resurrection, and ascension back to God. He predicted the church. And more specifically and more impressively for us is the fact that in that moment, Jesus predicted you. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, you are a part of the church, and in that moment, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus predicted you, and Jesus predicted me, and Jesus predicted us, and what's so incredible about that is that in that moment, Jesus predicted that the church would happen because Jesus could see that the church would happen. Jesus would see the inauguration of the church and he would see every consequential generation that would come after that first day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus saw every church and every generation that would ever exist. And what that means for us is, you may have not thought about it in these terms, but in that moment, Jesus predicted us. Jesus predicted the Creek Church. Jesus looked down through the corridors of time and Jesus looked into the future and Jesus knew that in 1861 that a group of people would get together a couple of miles from here and decide that the community needed a church and that church would eventually be called Hawk Creek Missionary Baptist Church and in that moment in Caesarea Philippi 120 miles north of Jerusalem Jesus saw that moment and that's where our story begins as part of the local church. Some of you think our church is new. Our church isn't new, our church is elderly, we're old. 1861, that's where we got our start and Jesus predicted the Creek Church. He predicted and saw all through time, he saw that there was gonna be a group of people in the 1960s who built a little brick church with a little white steeple. He saw that same group of people who would build in the late 1950s a gymnasium that they wanted a place for the community people to play basketball in as a means of outreach but little did that group of people knew that we're building a gymnasium. They were actually building a sanctuary for a future generation. They had no idea. He predicted all of this. He knew that this was gonna happen. He knew that we were gonna leave down on Hawk Creek Road. He knew that we were gonna be at the London Community Center for three years. He saw us move into this building Jesus predicted the church. He predicted this local church and every local church, every church that has ever existed in every generation, Jesus in that moment predicted that it would happen. Now, here's what I wanna do today. I wanna talk to you just like I would, maybe at your house, maybe somewhere out having coffee. And I wanna come and one of the things that I wanna do today is just to remind you that God has done something incredible in the story of this local church. In your local church, God has done something amazing. And I know you've got jobs and you don't have time to think about it, but this is my life. This is what I do. This is what I've done now for well over a decade. Ministry is my life. I understand that the most important investment that I will ever make with my life outside of my family is the local church. And I hope that you understand that the most important thing that you will ever be a part of outside of your family will be the local church. So I live, eat, and breathe this from the time that the sun comes up even before until after the sun goes down. This is my passion, this is my life, this is what I have given my life to. So I don't expect you to know all the things that I know about what's going on in the church world, but I want you to know that what has happened in this local church is not the norm. And I need you to know, maybe more than ever, that what has happened in this local church has been nothing short of extraordinary. It has been nothing short of miraculous because what God has done in this local church does not happen most of the time. But inside this local church, this is part of our story, and you need to know that you're a part of something that is not ordinary, that you are a part of something extraordinary, that you are not part of something average or normal or status quo. You are a part of something miraculous. You are a part of something unique, and you need to know that, and we need to know that, because that is just the landscape of where we are in American church culture, that what has happened here does not happen everywhere. Matter of fact, most of the time, it doesn't. So I need you to know that God has done some pretty amazing things the past 12 years, just the past 12, not even going back to 1861 and talking about some of the incredible things that God has done throughout the generations of this church. But in just the past 12 years, I want you to know what God has done in the past 12 years. I want you to know what has happened in the past 12 years because I want you to know what you have allowed God to do in the past 12 years. God is a gentleman and God doesn't force himself on anybody but you have allowed God to do some things and you need to know that what you have allowed God to do has been nothing short of incredible and I'm going to give you some information and and I know again you're used to us telling you things like this and you're used to numbers but I tell you we get numb to this and it becomes ordinary and it becomes just average because you show up week in and week out and this just feels like church to you. This just feels like what we always do. This just feels like, yeah, what else are we gonna do? But this is so extraordinary, this is so amazing, and you just need to know that this is so special. So what I'm about to tell you, you need to know that this is a really, really, really big deal when it comes to what has God done in the past 12 years, what you have allowed God to do in the past 12 years. Let me just start here. Over the past 12 years, we have baptized 1,480 people. Can you believe that? I mean, that's amazing. 1,480 people. I know some of you don't like math, but that is a big number. And when it comes to baptisms in a local church, that is a big number. That's men, that's women, that's boys, that's girls, that's Democrats, that's Republicans, that's rich, that's poor, that's black, that's brown, that's white. These are your neighbors. These are your friends. These are sons and daughters. These are moms and dads. These are coworkers. These are strangers. Some of these 1,480 you prayed for. Many of these 1,480 people, some of you invited. You are part of their story forever because of what you have allowed God to do in this place. Some of these 1,480 people have died and gone to heaven. And they're in the presence of God because of what you allowed God to do in this local church. And it is incredible, 1480 names, 1480 stories that are forever different because of what God has done and what you allowed God to do. What God has done in the past 12 years is also, it looks like this. We as a church have given away over $2.5 million outside of our church in the last 12 years. That's amazing. When you think about on top of this building, multi-million dollars that we've spent on this building, we've built parking lots, we've built theaters, we've built children's areas, we have launched ministry after ministry, we have done some incredible things around here. But on top of all of that, it would have been so easy to be so inward focused and say, let's build up our kingdom and let's not worry about anybody else but you were so generous. And over the past 12 years, we have given away over $2.5 million. Some of you don't know this, but we have helped plant two churches in Los Angeles, California. Grace Iranian Church and New Wine Community Church because of you in Los Angeles, California. We have helped plant a church in Quebec, Canada, one of the most unchurched cities, if not the most unchurched city in North America. You did that. Some of you aren't aware that we have built two churches from the ground up in Haiti. That means clinics and schools and healthcare and education for young Haitians, changing the next generation of the world's poorest country here in the Western Hemisphere. This is what you have done. You have given away cars to people who are in strategic need. You've given to the poor. Matter of fact, just last week, I didn't have to go back very far to get an example and pull the best one because this stuff happens all the time. We were able, because of you, what you've allowed God to do here and through you, We were able to help a family of five who were homeless, working poor, working poor with jobs, homeless, living out of their cars, a newborn, teenagers, a terrible situation. And you were able not only to help them procure a place to live and pay the first month's rent, but you were also able to hook up all their utilities and you were able to get them into that first month without owing anything. There are stories like that all the time because of you. You've helped support missionaries all around this world. Some of you, you don't even know this, but a few years ago, we gave tens of thousands of dollars to help launch a satellite into space and that satellite orbits over the Middle East and 24 hours a day and seven days a week, the gospel is presented to Muslim countries all across the Middle East because you gave tens of thousands of dollars to help launch a satellite with other churches. Are you kidding me? From right here in this part of Kentucky, you've given away thousands of shoes and thousands of meals and you've given thousands of kids a Christmas. you're in and you're out. You've helped support local nonprofit ministries. You do this all the time. This is what you've allowed God to do. In just 12 years, on top of everything that we have been doing and on top of paying for all that we need to pay for. Another thing, you've influenced 3,450 children. Those are just the ones we can count in the last few years. That means that a next generation of boys and girls and students are gonna start with a much much stronger starting point in their faith than what many of us did. That means that one day, because you've drove the anchor so deep into their heart in children's ministry and up front, that when they try to drift, they're only gonna be able to drift so far because you've decided that the next generation is worth whatever it takes. That we are gonna reach into the next generation and we are gonna give them a faith worth passing on, a faith that they want to own themselves that many of our high school students, when they decide they're going to college, they will tell us, I hope one day I can come back and work in your church because that's what you've allowed God to do in and through you. The next generation, we're bringing it along with us. And then from that group of 40 people that we started with this past year, our average attendance around here was 1,682 people. From about 40 people to 1,680 people this is extraordinary this is miraculous you are part of something that you should never take for granted that we should never take for granted this isn't normal and we shouldn't behave as though it is or think as though it is and then after we moved into this building there was about 40 or so people who were driving from over there at Somerset and Somerset by the way glad you're with us 40 miles, you know, 40 minutes away, there was a group of people, about 40 of them, that were driving over here Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. Some of you do that, but many people were not able to do that and they wanted a church like this in their community. So here's what this church did. This is what you did. You gave over $200,000. Some are saying you may not know this, but a group of people over here in London gave $200,000 for a group of people that they've never met, perhaps will never meet in a place that they'll never step foot in. They gave over $200,000 to help line a campus 40 minutes away over in Somerset serving Pulaski County that's unbelievable and just to give you a snapshot of what's happening over in Somerset just this past year so that you know God's doing something extraordinary there they've baptized 18 people just this past year that's incredible that's awesome Nate Heron's doing an incredible job we've got an incredible pastor over there and the church is moving And I believe it's on the tipping point. There's some big, huge, monster things about to happen in Somerset. I think you sense it. We sense it over here. And we're just excited. And this is because of what you allowed to do. And God is able to use people in Somerset. Somerset, God's doing some things in you and through you because a group of people over here allowed God to do something in them and through them first. That's what you call the church. That's how amazing the church is. There's a group of people, over a couple hundred people, they're averaging 235 in attendance. That's bigger than 90% of the churches in this country. That there's over 200 people gathered up right now, live with us, having church, in a church just like yours, that feels like yours, loves like yours, cares about the things that we care. It's our church and they're gathered there because are you kidding me? This is amazing. In a county where 40,000 people don't attend church, So the potential is unbelievable, unbelievable. And this is just a small picture of what God has done. And this is extraordinary and this is miraculous and this is abnormal and this is unique. That God has done something in a part of the world where nobody expects God to really do anything big. But I came here this morning to tell you as much as you've allowed God to do and as much as God has done in the past 12 years, we're not finished yet. I'm not finished yet. God's not finished yet and the Creek Church isn't finished yet. We've got some things to do and it's just like I told you the last Sunday night of July when we launched into this season of prayer and fasting asking God to do something big and great, bigger and greater than what he did before. Where we have been is not as good as where we're going. That where we are going is better than where we have been. I need you to know that. I need you to believe that. I need you to walk like that. I need you to think like that. I need you to know I need us to know here in London in Somerset that God has done some great things, but he has promised also to do even greater things. I need you to be reminded of that. And the way that we like to say it around here a lot is right here. There is better than here. Where we're going is better than where we've been because where we are is a very unique window of time that we have an opportunity that perhaps is even greater than the opportunity our church had 12 years ago when a group of people decided to get together and to pray for God to do something big. But here we are, we are a big church now and we've got an opportunity to do even bigger things that if a small group of people could pray for God to do something big and we end up here the way we are today, imagine if we can mobilize you and mobilize us and mobilize all of us to begin to ask God to do something even bigger and greater. Just imagine what could happen because here we are in a world that is desperately in need of hope, a world that's in desperate need of the church to be the church at a time in history where it's not a problem, but an opportunity. When 27% of millennials think the Bible is a book used to oppress people and they have a negative view of the Bible. When four out of five disengage from their faith by age 29, when 70% of them disengage by 23, when only 3% of millennials the largest generation that we have known thus far in this country, when only 3% of them have a favorable view of the church. We are at a place where we have an incredible opportunity. Where 48% of our nationwide population is now post-Christian. That's gonna change in a couple of years and the scales are gonna tip in the other direction. We're not at a problem-filled time in history. We are at an opportunity-filled time of history. We have an opportunity as this local church to do something, to make a difference, to make a big difference, bigger and greater than what we have ever been able to do before. God has done something big in 12 years. You've allowed God to do something big in 12 years, but God's not finished yet. And there where we are headed is better than where we are and it's better than where we have been. And we have the opportunity as the Creek Church to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, to continue to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, to see people, to see the world the way that people sees people, the way Jesus sees people and the way that he sees the world, to feel about the world and to feel about people the way that Jesus feels about them and to feel a burden that something must be done, something needs to be done, that when we look around us and all the problems that we hear about, And all the things that were inundated that we hear about week in and week out in the newspaper and on news media outlets, all of those things. We need to be reminded that we are at an incredible time of history when we can be the church Jesus wants us to be. And when we decide to be that church in an even a greater way, oh my goodness, what could happen next may just possibly blow all of our minds away. Because this is what it says about Jesus's ministry. That Jesus... He went through all the towns and villages because you know what? Jesus wanted to be with people. He wanted to be with people. He didn't want to shut himself off from people. He believed that if he could get near people, people would want to be near him. In the 21st century, it's not that way with his church. I pray that our church will be the church that when we get close to people, people will want to be close to us because what was said of Jesus, I hope will be said of us. Jesus wanted to be where the people were and even people were nothing like Jesus like Jesus. And it said he went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, teaching them about a better life and teaching them about eternal life. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming that there was a God in heaven who knew them by name, who knew who they were, knew what they had done, but God loved them anyway. And that God had invited them into forgiveness and into grace with no strings attached. That God didn't see in terms of labels or classifications or categories of people. God didn't think of people in terms of the way that people think about people, in the way that politics refers to people, or in the way that religion refers to people, or the way that society at large refers to people. No, Jesus said, I bring you good news, that there's a God in heaven that says, no matter what you've done and no matter where you've been and no matter what you are, no matter what you're not, he loves you, he's inviting you back, because that was good news. And it sounded like good news, And you know what our world needs today? It needs good news. And the church once again needs to be known for good news. It didn't sound like oppression. It didn't sound like a burden. It sounded like good news. Then it goes on, it says, and when Jesus saw the crowds, and that's what he saw, he saw people. He didn't see labels, he didn't see classifications, he didn't see categories, he didn't see Republicans, he didn't see Democrats, he didn't see the color of skin, he didn't see orientation, he didn't see any of those things. When he looked at people, he saw people. He didn't see labels, he didn't see classifications, he saw people, and he knew their stories. And it says, and when he saw the people, because we live in a day where we don't see the people anymore. We see the issues, we see the categories, we see the labels. But we've lost sight of the people. It says Jesus saw the people because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus saw the people all around us. That's how he saw them then, that's how he sees sees them now. He saw them as confused. That they couldn't be blamed for how they are and what they do because they're confused. They're lost, they can't find their way. They're helpless. They're like the man we saw on the national media just a few weeks ago, a group of people filming with their cell phone, a man drowning in a pond, and they heckled him as he drowned. He didn't know how to swim, so he drowned. Jesus said, that's what I see when I look at the world. I see people who are drowning, and they're drowning because they don't know how to swim. I see people who are torn by sin and victimized by sin, and abused by sin, and deceived by sin, that's what I see. I don't see the labels that you see. I don't talk about them in the terms that you talk about them. I see them. I see people who are helpless and they need help. I see people who are hopeless and they need hope. I see some people that are drowning and they need a helping hand. Come on, that's what I see, and I need you to see what I see, Jesus is, Because when you see what I see, you're gonna feel how I feel, and you're gonna be convinced that something needs to be done. Because when Jesus looked at the world in his day and he looks at the world today, Jesus hates sin. But let me tell you why he hates sin. Not because of what the sin is, Jesus hates sin because of what it does to the people that he loves. That's why he has a problem with sin. And it's not a particular sin and it's not a certain category of sin. He hates what sin does to the people that he loves. And he says, I need you to see them the way that I see them. Confused, helpless, hopeless. Torn, abused, deceived, victimized. Not as someone you can blame and not a problem, a person. A person and not an issue. Not something to legislate, not something to vote for or against, but I need you to see them as people with names and stories. And I need you to see them the way that I see them. And that's what we have the opportunity to do as a church. To refocus our eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees people so that we feel about them the way that Jesus feels about them, so that we look at them and we realize something needs to be done. Something has to be done. Let me show you this.
1: You know, I grew up in a church, and my parents are very religious. I grew up going to church two, three times a week. Uh, In that church, my earliest memory was that there was this homeless man. He used to walk up and down the road and and, uh, he lived in the woods. My mom used to stop and give him rides. And uh, one day he, he started coming to our church and he always wore an uh, old ratty suit and he always carried a Bible. I can remember one time after a wedding, seeing him pick up bird seed that they had thrown and eaten uh, And I can remember being maybe five or six years old and watching him walk to the front of a church and sit down and watching an usher come up there and whisper something in his ear, and they took him to the back of the church. And I asked my mom and dad about it afterwards, uh, and and she told me that that he was distracting the people that were in there. And I can remember being that young and being done with God, uh, five or six years old, you know, maybe seven. Uh, and I've been and I've been done. I
2: didn't find it beneficial. Uh, mainly because church was a dragon. I didn't want to be there. There was nothing um, nothing uplifting about it. You go sit there and listen to a guy that's a, a hypocrite as far as I can see, tell me that I wasn't getting in and hell's hot and hellfire and brimstone and God doesn't want you and you suck and why again
3: do I want to come to that? From the time that I was a kid, you know, most of them dream of being a firefighter or a policeman or something. No, I wanted to be a preacher. I've always dreamed of that. Uh, but those kind of people in my area always shunned me. You know, I could try to go into church and they would come pointing at you, you know. It just make you feel so uncomfortable that you couldn't really make yourself go back to church.
4: There are 120 counties in the state of Kentucky and over 5,000 churches. Yet somehow, the church at large is failing. This is my friend Jeremy. He lives in Somerset, Kentucky, and he's not a
5: Christian. Um, well, I was raised uh, Southern Baptist, which is your pretty uh, straightforward, saved by grace, uh, you know, by faith, not through works, um, style of belief. Uh, very much a small congregation. Uh, and then as I got older, uh, and I explored more uh, and I I explored more options and I studied. Um, It just didn't it didn't mesh up for what I thought uh, the world was or could be. Or it didn't make sense to me in the way that it clicks with some people. Church population is falling. Um, You know, a lot of people think that that America is becoming a more Christian nation and at a surface evangelical level, it certainly is. Uh, We're codifying more religion into our society. But if you look at church population, it's 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 hitting all time lows. Uh, People just don't go to church anymore. Um, And there are a couple reasons for that. One is the prosperity gospel tells them there's no reason to. Um, You know, uh, you you have these big theatrical productions. It's like going to a tool concert um, at at these churches and you get lost in all this. And what doesn't get driven upon is the message. Or you go to a small town church and, and you're afraid that the preacher's gonna throw a copperhead at you. And what gets lost there is the message. And the message of Jesus. All those words written in red. They're right right in the middle of the book. Uh, The meat and potatoes of the entire faith, of the entire religion, of the Bible. The meat and potatoes is, don't be a jerk, help people out. That's the whole book. All that other stuff, the stuff that churches get caught up on, cool. But you're missing the entire point of what Jesus said.
0: You know, Jesus made it really simple. You know, Jesus said, Let me give you one command, one command only. If you ultimately want to know what the point was uh, that sometimes gets lost in translation, it was to love God and to prove it by how you love your neighbor, and love your neighbor as yourself. And really that was the heart of what Jesus established as his movement. And I don't think that a lot of people were misled on purpose. I think the message of the church just got lost in lots of other things. And people walked away from the church or even are stuck in a church somewhere and they just have an incredible misunderstanding of really what Jesus came to start. I never lost my faith, right? But I lost any interest at all in church because
6: church to me wasn't the same as Jesus. I I stopped finding Jesus in church and I didn't know what to do with it. So I just left. And I'm 31 years old. I moved to Eastern Kentucky and then I moved back here at 31. Started going to the same church I grew up in because I thought maybe if I give it another shot, maybe if I try hard enough, right? Then Easter Sunday came and he talked about two things. He talked about homosexuality and alcohol on Easter morning, there's 200 people in the church, 100 of whom we never see, 50 of whom have probably never been to church. And he talks about two fringe issues using scripture that doesn't back up his positions on those things. And I thought, first of all, I wanted to ask him, do you know about meth, right? Do you know about OxyContin? Do you know anything at all? Have you bothered to step outside the doors of this church and look around your own community and see the heartbreak that's caused by so many things that are not what you're preaching about.
7: We have so many people who live in really difficult circumstances. Um, They've lost hope, they've lost any kind of sense that things could be better here or that things could be different here. And so their only way of dealing with it is just to anesthetize it and make it all go away. Substance abuse is just the context of so much of what we do here that we stop thinking about it sometimes. It's every day, all day. The natural tendency is just to get hard to it and just get like you know why can't these people just straighten up or go away or um... so maintaining the compassion is hard. People make bad decisions. they do wrong things, they bear the responsibility for what they've done, but a lot of them also have been placed in really hard circumstances where um, I don't know. I don't know how you survive that without making some bad decisions.
4: So do you remember the first time that you ever used the circumstances, what was
8: going on? Yeah, well, I was at my uncle's house and he reached the joint to me. That's about twelve. From there on it gets worse and worse. My stepdad deserves alcoholic abuse of alcohol. I was always told nothing, don't be nothing. So drugs was about the only way to forget about everything. And the ones that was getting you high was the ones that was making me feel good. So that was a comfort, I guess. So your stepdad would say to you, what would he say to you? You was a loser, You're never gonna be nothing, You wouldn't amount to nothing. So my uncle brought me in, and I guess I watched them do it all, get high all the time. That's what I wanted to do, because he didn't ever say that. I went to church one time and with my mom, and I said, dirty got off work, and they looked at me like there was something wrong with me. So after that, Then I tried to get baptized and say, preacher forgot about it, so I just give up on it. Preacher forgot? Yeah, I said, just I don't know what happened, I had my whole family there. It's always been bad for me. So I just do drugs and get high and everybody's a friend.
4: So you went to the church service, your family came to watch you get baptized.
8: And the preacher said he forgot. That's when I just give up, just forget about it. It makes you feel bad though, you know? Yeah. When you try to do better, then something happens.
4: Yeah. Yeah, you get you have hope for a minute, and then something like that happens.
8: It's like yes, it brings you right back down. Don't want don't want to have hope. It's the life I have, I ain't never had hope. When you see the person, when you
7: start to understand what they've grown up with and what they've experienced and, and what they have and what they don't have, then then the compassion comes because you realize that this person is trying to cope with with really hard circumstances.
5: In a state that, that deals with poverty. At the rate that Kentucky does in a state that deals with homelessness, uh, that deals with drug addiction, that deals with, you know, lack of education, lack of opportunity, lack of upward social mobility, lack of hope. You're not going to give it to people by handing them a tract and saying, hey, you're poor, you're hungry, you're, you're, you're a hooker, you're a needle junkie, you're dying of cancer, but Jesus loves you. It's not what they need. They don't need to be told that Jesus loves them. They need to know that you love them.
0: And I think that there is always hope and there's always the capacity for faith whenever there is someone who feels loved. That's how people begin to believe that there's hope. Is once we can convince them that there are real people who love you.
3: To give somebody hope really is getting down on their level and saying, the Lord loved me at my nastiest. You know, I have to love you at your nastiest.
7: The modern church has lost a clear understanding of who Christ was and how he did things.
0: Jesus, we believe as Christians, was the only perfect person to live in all of history. Yet, the most imperfect people of his day were the people who were most comfortable with him. And the people who thought they were the best at keeping the rules and at being religious were the people who were made most uncomfortable
7: by Jesus. He was always hanging out with the prostitutes and the cheats and the thieves and the swindlers, and you know, we don't do that anymore. The the church has become a fortress and we isolate ourselves until we stop being churchy and start being real people out in the real world, actually interacting in a meaningful way. Uh, The church is pretty useless. People aren't gonna come to church. They need us to go to them.
6: So many congregations are shutting their doors. When I see what Christianity looks like to people who don't know anything about Christianity, why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to belong to some judgy social club that gets together and have covered dishes and sings a little a few times a week? There has to be more than that. The modern church, uh, the doors turn the wrong way on most churches. Um, They're they're sort of,
5: they're, they're acting like a vacuum when they should be acting like a fan. They shouldn't be sucking people in, they should be pushing energy out. That is the thing about your church. Uh, just the fact that you guys are sitting here with me right now and we're having this conversation, this is, this is what outreach is. Um, and it's not in a forceful way, it's, there's not even any witnessing taking place. It's opening up a conversation because you're not gonna understand how to fix the world's problems if you don't understand the people and their problems.
2: Came the first time to watch my wife get baptized. Just out of respect, you know, like going to a kid's graduation or something along them lines. It was just an event, and I was going there to show support, and um, I was drunk when I got there, and I was gonna be drunk again when I left. That was just my plan. I mean, I came in just to, to see an old girl get baptized, and I kept coming back because of what the Creek's doing. Um, what is that? <laughs> making disciples, son. Huh? Building that kingdom up, you know I mean? that's uh, And that's the job. Uh, all I know is, is life changed for me when I started coming to the creek. Um, I, I give absolute credit to God in all things, but, but the creek really did lead me to Christianity. Um, and it was the overall atmosphere. It was everything about it. It wasn't one thing, it was, the, it was the total. From the guy that shook my hand at the door, to me putting my kids over here, to the worship service being awesome, to a, a guy in jeans and a t-shirt, talking to me and just talking real to me that was another thing the creek is quite the opposite of everything i said sucked about church um it is welcoming it, if you got your little sunday best suit and your dress or whatever that's cool but if you don't that's fine too um it's a uh, it's an all welcoming truth-telling kind of place it's not a it's not a church that's designed to keep people away it's designed to bring them in i mean you could be a, a A gay black Muslim, come right on in, man. You step by me. You know what I mean? I just don't. I don't feel like anybody at the creek cares where you're from. How can
4: that be?
2: It's okay with Christ. You know what I mean? He didn't. uh, Jesus broke bread with everybody, man. I feel like he'd probably be pretty disappointed in me if I didn't welcome any and all, you know, to come
3: around me. So, and that's what I see at the creek. That's what I see at church. I tried finding my way into church, you know. I get those feelings and things, but you know, I was raised in a small community in a little church with maybe if we went with it was 15 people there, and it was just the music. The, everything was just so old style. I just couldn't get into it. You know, two months ago, I buried my little brother, my 27 year old brother. He died in my arms on Mother's Day. I started back using hard. Um, I got up to using five, six old 40s a day, a gram of dope a day, smoking weed, up to 10, 15, 20 Xanaxes a day. Um, I, I was trying to leave this world, to leave that pain that I was running from. Did you feel like you had any hope? I didn't have a bit of hope. I didn't have no hope. The only hope that I could find was the hope that I could just leave it, just get out of this world, just be the next one. You know, and and along the way, everyone around me that I loved was dying. You know, I've not only buried my brothers and my sister, I buried a best friend that was, like, my half-brother. My father and mother pretty much raised him. I have buried my cousin. Um, I pulled the phone from her mouth as her three kids walked in. Um, my best friend hung himself. Um, you know, it was just everybody around me was dying off. And here I was, left, you know, and that's the only hope I had was just to get it done and get it over with. Just to die. Just to die and get it over with. I went to U.S. Church last week. I have one of the best times i ever had in my life. And I, I plan on becoming a part of that church when I'm out of here. I enjoyed it and I appreciate you, it's making me feel so welcome. What,
4: what do you say, uh, what would you say is different about what you experienced at the creek? Uh,
3: it's not, you know, it's, it's more my style, you know, it's, I could understand it more, you know, the way that you, you break it down to us, you know, you don't know, try to make us feel a part of something that we're not, you know, it's like, we, we're family. know and we're loved when we go in there not that we're any different from anybody else
1: i've heard about the creek for a long time for years but
5: again i felt obligated to a specific church i feel like every church i've gone to it's the same thing every sunday you have to be saved or you're going to hell you have to be saved or you're going to hell like okay we get that we're saved we know we're going so can you help me tell me you know how i'm supposed to live my life while i'm here And that's really what I was looking for. Basically, I had to force my husband to go.
2: I've gone to a lot of churches where, because of how I look, or who I used to be, or tattoos, or anything, you're being judged not on your character, but by your appearance. And I don't, I don't have to, you know, I've never felt that here. You know, I feel like this place is doing exactly what I always believed in the heart of church should do and stand for. So I love coming here. (laughs)
4: So our vision is to take that and plant campuses of that all across the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, some people might look at that and go, "Well, what's that going to help? We don't need more churches. Um, you, you know, you just, you guys just want to get your number bigger and all that." And we don't. That's fine. That's going to be said. Right. Um, what do you think about that approach? And can it have an effect? Is that helpful? Is that useful? Is that like, eh, you know, what do you think about?
6: That? Well, so in some ways, I have been opposed to church planting because I see people planting churches in communities that have churches just like them. And, and I don't think that, I think that's growing for the sake of adding numbers. But I think in Eastern Kentucky, there is a drought of spiritual nourishment, a drought. Eastern Kentucky is underchurched. And I don't mean there are not enough church buildings in Eastern Kentucky because there are already too many, but I mean they are under church. They are under Jesus at least. And I don't care if it's Lutheran or non-denominational or Episcopalian or a not so hard shell Baptist church. I want to see people nourished and met where they are in their own communities without setting pretense, without setting conditions. Come as you are. If we say we are going to be radically inclusive, we have to be radically inclusive. And I think We have to go into communities in Eastern Kentucky where we don't have that. And we have to open new churches and we have to let the old churches die. And I don't think there's any shame at all in attracting worshipers who might be on the membership rolls of another church at a place they haven't been in 10 years or they're the creasters, right? They show up at Christmas and Easter. We have to do something about that. And we can't expect them to be Christ's hands and feet in the community when they don't even understand that as a concept, when they think Jesus is the judgy person who
0: told mom she couldn't wear pants to church. You know, what's happened in our community here in London, what's happening at our other campus in Somerset, uh, we are hopeful and we are confident that that can begin to happen in other communities. I think that we can take Christians and we can take believers and we can mobilize them and we can redirect their, their thoughts and their attention, their affection towards what our mission is, to love God, love people, and make disciples. And in the end, we really can't control who responds to the message, but we can control that we have um, properly communicated what that message is, and that we've tried to the best of our ability to represent uh, the one who gave us the message to begin with, and, and that was Jesus.
8: This is such worth, I'd love to do better. It's so like, I like coming down and
4: talking to Joe. UG hope. Jason's talking about Joe Arnett, who spends seven hours a week with inmates at the jail. Not unlike Joyce, who works with women at the jail and has even brought addicts into her home to help them recover. It's individuals like these that bring hope to those around them. This is the church as Jesus described it. It's Bill and Chris Deaton who use their influence and resources to love their employees. It's Josh Whittington, who took a pay cut to go to work for a substance abuse treatment center and a few months later baptized Mark Canada, a resident at that treatment center. It's teachers who invest just as much energy in the impoverished child as they do the privileged. Coaches who love and encourage every player. It's Crystal who gives up her Sundays to serve on the production team so people can come experience God in a relevant, engaging way. It's Kristen who serves in Kids Creek making sure kids have fun environments where they can learn about Jesus on their own. It's doctors, bus drivers, business owners, mechanics, waitresses. It's you. The bottom line is this. Our vision to change Kentucky will only be as successful as your willingness to selflessly love your neighbors. Our prayer as a church is this. Lord, give us Kentucky.
0: Jesus looked at his disciples that day, he wanted them to see people the way that he saw people. He wanted them to feel about people the way that he felt about people so that they would sense a burden, that something needs to be done, something has to be done. And if nobody else is gonna do something about it, then I am gonna do something about it. Jesus looked at his disciples and it says, then he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Because everybody else saw a problem and everybody else saw issues and everybody else saw classifications and categories. Everybody else saw projects. Everybody else saw people problems, issue problems, but Jesus just saw people. And we looked at them, he saw them as they were and he had compassion on them because they were helpless and they were hopeless. And they had been torn they'd been ripped apart deceived confused abused by sin and then he takes the attention of his disciples and he says, i want you to look at them because the harvest is plentiful that is not a problem what you see the world that you see around you it is not a problem it is a harvest the harvest is plentiful And there are helpless people out there that need help and there are hopeless people out there that need hope and you are the hope of the world. Something has to be done and we've got to do it. The harvest is plentiful. But then he goes on to say, but the workers are few. Because just take a look around you at all the things that you hear about and all the issues and all the labels and all the classifications and all the categories and all the infighting. That's a harvest. Rome didn't see those people as a harvest. Judaism didn't see those people as a harvest. Those were the excommunicated. Those were the left behind. Those were the unclean and the unloved and the unqualified. And Jesus said, that's not who they are at all. These are men and women who are confused. Don't be surprised when they do what they do. They're confused. Come on, I need you to see them the way that I see them. They're drowning. No wonder they're acting the way they are. No wonder they forsook responsibility. No wonder they said that. No wonder they go there. They're drowning and they don't know how to swim. They're wounded. They're abused. You have no idea the pain. You have no idea the angst. You have no idea their story. I need you to see them the way that I see them so that you'll feel about them the way that I feel about them. And you'll know that something has to be done. Oh, there's plenty harvest is plentiful, but the workers, that's what we need. The workers are few. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough people committed to this. We don't have enough people that believe this. We don't have enough people that see it this way or feel about it this way, or are willing to do something about it. And Jesus said, come on, I need you to see what I see and feel what I feel and be willing to do what I'm willing to do. These are not your enemies, but this is your harvest. This is not an issue. This is your harvest. This is not a low life. This is not an arrogant. This is not him. This is not, that's your harvest. So he said, why don't you do this for me? Why don't you ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field? Because we need people to get in on this. This is bigger than we are. We can do something about it. We're gonna do something about it, but we need some workers to get involved. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is our field. Right here, this is our field. Now we live in little pieces of that field here in Laurel County and over there in Pulaski County. And this is our small part of our field, but this is our field. And we could have been born anywhere on this planet, but God put us right here in this field. And this is where our harvest is. And those are problems inside that field. That's a harvest inside that field. There's helpless people inside that field. There's hopeless people inside that field. They've been abused inside that field, torn inside that field. They need help and they need hope. And we are the church and we are the hope of the world. And if nobody else does anything, it is our responsibility to do something. Nobody else has the answer but us. Inside that field, there's 2 million people and the number's going higher every day that has no faith affiliation. You heard it, 21 and 25 of the most lost counties are east of 75. 23 and 24 are right there on the west side of 75. Come on, the harvest is plentiful. Do you see what he sees? Do you feel what he feels? Are you willing to do something about it because that's our field And the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the workers are few. And I came here this morning to tell you we're going to do something about it. This is where we are, and we're going to do something about it. We're looking at helpless people, and we're going to do something about it. There's hopeless people in our backyard, and we're going to do something about it there's torn people there's hurting people there's confused people and we're going to do something about it because we are the church that's what we've always done that's what we do that's who we are that's what we will always do until he comes back that's what we do we are the church you see our vision is to create churches all over kentucky where people who don't like church love to attend were stories of Josh. There's a Josh Whittington all over this state. There's stories just like you heard all over this state. And they need you and they need me and they need a church like this church, not because we need another church, but we need a different church. And I believe for this time and season, we've got something to do, we've got something to say. And God has opened up a door of opportunity for us of what brought you in here to make sure it's in other places so people like you can find a place where they get baptized and their mom and dads get baptized and their brothers and sisters get baptized and coworkers and strangers get baptized, all because we understood that the harvest was plentiful and we saw what he saw and we feel what he feels. And we know we gotta do something about it. So here's where we're going. This is what we're gonna do. Somerset, let's talk to you first. We're believing God for a permanent home for Somerset. God's doing some big things over there. God's doing something in you and through you, Pulaski County, 40,000 people that don't go to church. This may be the time, this may be the season, we need you to step up, we need you to step in, we need you to engage there, we need you to engage here because we need a facility over there where we can do ministry the way we like to do ministry. They've been setting up, they've been tearing down, we did it for three years at the community center, they've been doing it for five years there. We need to pray that God gives us a home in Somerset so we can do what Pulaski County, Somerset, and those areas need over there. That's what we're believing God for, that's where we're going, that's what we need to happen. We're praying and we're asking God to be debt free by 2024. Because the reason we wanna be debt free as a church, we owe about $4 million as a church. And that's okay because we got a lot of people and we filled a lot of buildings and we've done a lot of ministry. But by 2024, we're praying that God gets us debt free. And that means that we've gotta be generous. Can you imagine if all we had to do was to decide where to plant churches and how many to plant and how many to start? We're all the overhead of doing our facilities and doing all the thing. Can you imagine all the good? We would be able to do it a ridiculous amount. You may be here and you may, you may want to write a $4 million check this morning. Is that a hand in the back? Oh, you're just wiping your nose. You may be here and all you can do is $10, $20, but I'm telling you all together, the church has always been able to do amazing things together. And it may not seem like much, but let me tell you, little is much when God is in it. We're praying for seven campuses. We're gonna have seven campuses by 2024. And let me tell you how we're gonna do it. We're gonna launch our third campus in the spring of 2018. We're gonna launch our fourth in 2019. And at the beginning of the first quarter of 2020, we're gonna launch our fifth. And in between that and 22, we're gonna add six and seven. But the good news is, the big news, we're gonna start on the problem today. We're gonna start on our harvest field today. We've been working on it, we are working on it, but we cut it up a whole other notch of volume today because we're all launching into this thing because this is our field. We see what he sees, we feel what he feels. We gotta do something about it. So we're gonna launch our third campus in the spring of 2018. So big news, good news. The Creek Church Williamsburg launches Yeah, I heard some Williamsburg back there. Williamsburg, springtime 2018. God opened up a door a few months ago for us to sign a lease inside the Williamsburg Mall. You've already heard from Bill and Christine that they're on the video. They've got part of their business located there in the mall. We've been able to procure about 10,000 square feet of space. Matt Mills has been very generous in helping us orchestrate that deal and just been very generous to our church through the whole process. But we've been able to get about 10,000 square feet, and this is what the Creek Church Williamsburg is going to look like, and it's you know auditorium here you can see our core values out there you got some lobby all this wide spaces inside the mall we got a space for kids you can see the screens there you can see the stage all this this is what it's going to look like it looks a lot like it's going to look here it's going to look a lot like when we get a permanent place over in Somerset th- th- this is it this is where we're going because we believe this is our field and the harvest is plentiful and we can do something about it so here, here's the question I need you to ask what do I need to do What do I need to do? Well, here's what I want you to do. I need you at a minimum for the next 365 days. Just give it a year. Give it one trip around the sun, 365 days. Would you do this for the next 365 days? Would you attend here consistently? Would you recommit yourself to being in the local church because it matters? Not because I say it matters, because the scriptures say it matters. I need you to be here. I need you to invite others to be here and be bold about it. I need you to go to your home. I need you to go to your neighborhood. I need you to go to your office, to your school, to your team, and I need you to bring them in. I need you to continue to invite. I need you to to serve I need you to find some place somewhere to serve if you can't think of a place kids God is speaking kids right now we got a lot of kids around here here's a place for you to serve we need you I need you to connect in a group relationally over 200 of you signed up last week but there's still more who could if you'll connect relationally you won't fall, fall through any cracks and then I need you to give generously now. Let me talk to 70% of you for just a moment, 70%. 30% of us fund our church. 30% of us fund our church. 70% love our church. They just haven't developed a plan to support the church they love. 70% of us are not financially invested in the mission and vision of this local church. Can you imagine if the 70% of us who are not engaged at this moment Begin to engage on some level. I believe in tithing, I believe in giving a 10th, I believe in giving over the 10th, but if 10% is too big of a percent for you to even think about, start somewhere and begin to be a consistent giver. You can text, you can text today if you want to sign up on recurrent giving. We're gonna take an offering at the end of the service. Our ushers are gonna be at the door, right? Just so you know, that, that that's all we're gonna to do today. There's gonna to be at the door. But if you wanna sign up on recurrent giving, Don't even have to think about it. Text the creek to 77977. There's an envelope on the back of your seat. You can even put your information there. As soon as it's taken up, it's locked up in a vault. It stays confidential and people process the information. I need 70% of you to get a plan to fund your local church. 30% have been funding everything that's been going on here. And we've been able to give $2.5 million away in 12 years with 30% of us funding it. Imagine what we could do if all of us would just become a part of what's happening here. It would be ridiculous. Ridiculous. Once upon a time, there was a church that looked like this. It was the first church, 1861. Aren't you glad somebody paid to build that church? Aren't you glad somebody paid to keep the lights on? Aren't you glad somebody bought the property? Who's gonna be glad because of what we decide to do? Because I can imagine a day when places like Pikeville, Williamsburg and Bell County and Paducah and Richmond and Lexington and Bowling Green and places in between to the north and the south and the east and the west rural and urban and they get together on a Sunday and they begin to tell their story as a local church when they tell their story they will speak of us They will speak of you. They will speak of a group of people who believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That when people saw the world around them, they saw people helpless and hopeless. And they knew something had to be done, and they did something about it. From the unexpected place from which they were, a group of people served attended, invited, connected, and gave. And they will tell their story and you will be part of it. As places all over the state will gather together, same time all over our state because of what we decide to do today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So come on, I need you, I need you. I need you to engage. I need you to step in. I need you to step up because what we can do together, I need you to listen to what God says. I need you to ask God, God, what can I give? What can I do? How can I serve? And I need you to step in with us because if we can get all of us engaged, oh my goodness, this is our field the harvest is plentiful, but I see workers. God has sent us lots of workers and we got to do something about it. Even if nobody else cares, even if everybody thinks we're crazy, we're gonna do something about it. And it starts today. Heavenly Father, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, Speak to us. How can we be generous? What can we give? How can we serve? How can we be more committed to the local church? Help us to see what you see so that we feel what you feel, so that we feel compelled to do something about it. This is the next chapter of our church and it is better than the last. Where we are headed is better than where we've been. You have done great things, but you've promised even greater things and today we avail ourselves we open up our hands and we say god do a work in and through us that will blow our minds in the generations to come speak lord give us the harvest let us work for it let us give towards it in jesus name